You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. Colossians. You may want to stick a bookmark there. This is where we'll be for a little while as we're beginning a, a new study from this great letter of the Apostle Paul. As we study it together on Sunday mornings, I, I think it's also valuable if, if we could give ourselves to memorizing parts of uh, Colossians. So I'm going to be challenging you with some memory verses along the way. There's so many good ones in Colossians, but for the next month, um, I would like to put before you Colossians 1.18 as a verse to memorize. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Might be helpful if we just read it out loud together as a congregation. Would you read it out loud with me? And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That is surpassing all others, Christ above all. And uh, so I want to challenge you in this first month of the new year, jot that verse down, mark it, and uh, give yourself to spending some time memorizing that that verse here. If it seems overwhelming to you at first, just try to memorize the first sentence this week and uh, continue working on it as we progress. Well, our text this morning is an introduction to the letter of Colossians. It begins in chapter 1. We're just going to look at a couple of, of verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Let's pause for prayer. Lord, we, we pray that you might speak to us from your word today, the truth that we need to hear, that we long to hear, the truth that would breathe new life into our souls, that would sustain and encourage us and help us to be more like Jesus. And so we give ourselves to hearing this morning. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. And I pray that you might use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe the first question we should begin with this morning is why study the letter of Colossians? Why study it? Why would we make any effort to memorize parts of it. Why study a letter that was written probably around 60 AD? Why study that for anything that is relevant and helpful to our lives today? The answer might be best explained by something Jonathan Edwards preached in 1739. He said this in a sermon. He said, be assiduous in reading the Holy Scriptures 
This is the fountain whence all knowledge in divinity must be derived. And therefore, let not this treasure lie by you neglected. Every man of common understanding who can read may, if he please, become well acquainted with the Scriptures. And what an excellent attainment would this be. Now, that's not the way we typically write or communicate today. But don't miss what he's saying there. Be assiduous means to give careful, unremitting attention to the Word, to the Word of God, to the Bible, reading the Bible, because he notes that it is the fountain by which we drink from to know God. Sam Storms, commenting on Edwards' quote, puts it like this, the energy behind that exhortation is the conviction that Scripture truly is a fountain, a free-flowing, never-ending flood of truth, wisdom, and encouragement. It is a treasure more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And here in Colossians, perhaps it's summed up in one glorious reality, the fact that the Scriptures make known to us, as Paul writes there in chapter 1, verse 27, the Scriptures make known to us the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The answer to, to our question is, We love the Scriptures because the Scriptures lead us to Christ. And we love Christ. Therefore, to use use Edwards' words, be assiduous. We're, We're to be unremitting, that is, in giving careful attention to the reading of God's Word, the study of it, because it reveals to us the beauty, the treasure, the riches of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is our treasure and reward, church. And therefore, we study the Scriptures because we want to know Him and worship Him. So let's begin this morning with our study of Colossians, with a prayer that we would know Christ as we study it together. Let me give you a brief background from it. It It's around A.D. 53 that Paul came to the city of Ephesus. Uh, where he preached the gospel to them. Acts 19 tells us of this story. It tells us that many people believe the gospel as he preached it. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's possible, in fact, maybe likely, that it was here in Ephesus when that was preached that a businessman had made his trip over from Colossae, a businessman named Philemon, and along with another man from Colossae named Epaphras, And both of them potentially were at least saved in that Paul's preaching of the gospel to the Ephesus. Though we're not given details, it it seems that both of these guys returned home to Colossae and they started preaching the gospel to people there. And out of that, people were saved and a new church was formed. Philemon chapter 1 verse 2 explains that, that that new church was meeting in Philemon's house. Well, about seven years later, so now we're about 60 A.D., Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and there was a slave from Philemon's house, a man named uh, Onesimus. 
And he shows up in Rome, and for some reason, Onesimus has decided to run away from Philemon, and he's likely stolen some things from him. But Paul meets Onesimus and shares the gospel with him, and Onesimus is saved. And then a very short time later, Epaphras comes to visit Paul in Rome. And he tells Paul that as a result of the preaching of the gospel, that there is a church in Colossae. Paul, there's potentially no idea that this had happened. There's not, not only a church in Colossae, but along with churches in Hierapolis and Laodicea. And of course, Paul is overjoyed to discover this. This is what he's working for and praying for and preaching for. And so that, that visit prompts Paul to do two things. First of all, Paul wanted to make contact with this little church and Colossae meeting at Philemon's house uh, in order to make sure that they would be established in the faith, that they would continue to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. And so he wrote them this letter, Colossae. And then the second thing, something needed to be done about Onesimus, this runaway slave who was owned by Philemon and whose house these, this church was meeting. So Paul wrote a, a personal letter to Philemon in your Bible. And uh, Paul sent these two letters, the letter to Colossae and the letter to Philemon, by way of a trusted companion named Tychicus and also Onesimus, the slave. And so these letters were received. They were read in public to the church that had gathered to worship on a Sunday morning, just like we're doing and so this letter of Colossians, this group of believers Paul has never met, but somehow through perhaps the gospel going to Epaphras, this church has learned of Christ, and uh, now Paul is writing to them to encourage them. So we can only imagine Tychicus standing before the congregation there at Colossae with this opening this parchment uh, and, and beginning to read to them in public this letter, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, what did Paul seek to communicate as he is opening his letter in this particular way? Well, one of the first things that he has to do, I think, is to address them in a way that would gain them some sort of credibility to be able to speak to them. Uh, to be able to share with them so that they might put their trust and confidence in him. So one of the first reasons that he wrote, I think, is, is to tell us how we should think of Paul, how we should think of him. Notice how he introduces himself, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. He introduces himself in three ways. First, as an apostle an apostle of Christ Jesus. The believers at Colossae had heard about Jesus from Epaphras, uh, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, and the Savior. And, and now Paul introduces himself as an apostle, which means one sent from Jesus, one sent by Jesus himself. There's so many things we could say about Paul. Some have argued that he had the greatest intellect of the ancient world. Uh, we could speak of his incredible missionary endeavors and journeys, the trips that he took to plant churches. We could talk about his amazing leadership capacity to deal with churches and train pastors and all of these different things. We could talk about the fact that he's a brilliant theologian. I mean, just think of Romans. Paul wrote that. 
under the inspiration of the Scripture. But perhaps none is as significant as the fact that he's one sent. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus himself. That's not just important for the Colossians to hear right from the beginning. It is also important for us to hear and continue to hear today. When we read and we study Paul's letters, we're not simply reading from someone who was a great thinker of that time. We are not simply reading uh, from someone who was a great leader or someone who was the the world's best missionary. Um, Paul is speaking as Jesus Christ representative, as a spokesman, as an apostle. Woodhouse, a Uh, A commentator puts it like this. He speaks not just about Jesus, but for and on behalf of from Jesus Christ. He speaks, in other words, with the authority of Jesus himself. And that means that he has a right to claim a hearing from anyone who claims to follow Christ. Now, the reason this is important, I think, for us is because there are some today that wish to separate Paul's words from Jesus' words. In fact, I have heard, I've heard comments like this as your pastor, something that goes like this. Well, I believe in Jesus' words, but I'm not so sure about Paul's. Or uh, I don't agree with everything that Paul said. I just agree with what Jesus said. Usually what that means is that they disagree with some of Paul's views, uh, particularly on sexuality or marriage or gender roles, views that often contradict popular culture today. But I want to ask you, who is it that saved Paul? Who is it that appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus? Who is it that called Paul? Who is it that taught Paul, discipled Paul even? Who is it that appointed Paul as an apostle who sent him to the Gentiles? Who is it that inspired him to write all of these letters in the New Testament? Church, you know the answer to that. It was Jesus Christ. And when Paul speaks in the New Testament, you understand he is speaking for Jesus. He is speaking on behalf of Jesus, and he is speaking from Jesus. Jesus Christ. He speaks for him. And our attitude toward the apostle here, the apostle of Jesus, really reflects something of our attitude toward Jesus himself. That should not be a problem for us. In fact, it should be a delight for us as a church. I imagine, again, when the Colossians heard that opening phrase, Paul is writing a letter to us. Paul, the one who is sent by Jesus, our Lord, we ought to be as delighted and as eager to hear his word as we would Jesus himself because Paul's words come from Jesus. Secondly, Paul says he's an apostle by the will of God. By the will of God. That's the second thing he tells them. It will become clear, I think, that Paul means more than just divine providence, though I think that is true. It is true that God's sovereign hand rules over every detail of life. It was God's providence that Epaphras and 
and uh, Philemon were in Ephesus perhaps that day and heard the gospel. It was God's providence that uh, Epaphras shows back up later in Rome when Paul was in change. It was, it was God's providence that led Onesimus to come to Paul and Paul share the gospel with him and all of these different things. It was, it was the providence of God that led Paul connected to this church in Colossians. But when Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 9, that his prayer for the Colossians is that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. It indicates, I think, that Paul has in mind something more than just the providential will of God. That is, this is, he's talking about how God is carrying out his gospel plan for the world. We'll see this develop as we read it more, but in other words, God's will involves how all things were created for His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, verse 16. And that He is, verse 20, He's reconciling all things to Christ, making peace by His blood on the cross. In other words, the will of God, He's meaning here, I think is the great plan of God that the good news of the gospel is being spoken of and is accomplishing God's purposes in the world. Again, the message is that we should listen to Paul. He's told us this so we would hear him. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's come to us by the will of God. That is the very gospel plan that we've heard the gospel through him and he has come to reveal the gospel of God to us and the Colossians need to hear him and so do we. Then finally, Paul introduces himself, he says simply, as Timothy and Timothy our brother. Timothy was... uh, his most trusted ministry partner. But interestingly, not just uh, his, his spiritual brother here, but he uses the word are. He's a spiritual brother to the Colossian Christians. It's such a different way of looking at, at things, isn't it? Even though most of them had never met in person. The fact that he could write such a personal letter and say, our brother. I, I think the reason Paul uses that term will become more clear in just a moment in our second heading. Paul doesn't just want us to know how to think of him and to listen to him. He also wants us to know how to think of ourselves. How to think of ourselves. This is verse 2. He writes, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now what he's doing there from the very beginning is reminding this little church whom he's never met of their amazing new identity in Christ, who they are, an identity, by the way, that we share with them if we are in Christ as His church. Notice five things Paul wanted them and and us to understand about ourselves, to think of ourselves as Christian. First, Paul calls them in us holy. Holy, that's the word to the saints, to the saints. The word saints means those who are set apart for God those who are holy. You you may remember in uh, Exodus chapter 19, before God gave the Ten Commandments, this is how He described His people, the Israelites. He described them as holy. And so this is an amazing thing to say to these Christians in Colossae, most of them not Jewish, but Gentile, and yet to say to them, that Israel was God's holy people, but so are you, little church in Colossae. And so are you, church in Mount Washington. 
Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were all holy in their character and conduct. Because later in chapter 3, Ben reminded us of this last week. By the way, he did a great job last week preaching. Amen? So thankful for you, Ben. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's what I want you to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and so on. And what he's saying there in verse 2 is that we have been set apart for God, by God and for God. So in other words, it's not so much a statement about purity, but about position. Position. That they are precious and holy people for, who've been set apart by God, for God, for himself. This is not a cause for arrogance, uh, because if you're honest with yourself, you realize you have no shot of getting this kind of status on your own. Amen? My goodness. And yet this is, this is, this is not a cause for arrogance. This is really a cause for astonishment that God in His grace would set us apart as a people for Himself. Saints. Do you see yourself Christian in that light? Do you think of yourself in that particular way? Do you see those around you as among the precious, set-apart people of God? Secondly, he describes them and us as believing. Verse 2, he says, to the saints and faithful. That is, I think, those who are putting their faith in Christ, those who are believing, believing. Again, this is not something that we, we boast about. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian church, where there's many kind of parallels to Colossians, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. And, and not even the grace... Certainly it's not your own doing. Not even the faith is of your own doing. He says, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. The nature of believing and faith is that you are trusting not in yourself for your salvation. You're not trusting in your own righteousness. You're not trusting in your own good works. You're not trusting in your own good merits. You're not trusting in your family faith tradition, but rather you are trusting in someone else that is Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his good works to save you. A little later, down in verse 23 of Colossians 1, Paul will encourage us to continue in the faith. That is, don't shift from the gospel that you've heard. Don't stop believing. Chapter 2, verse 7, Paul wants us to be rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith. We are a people of faith. Trusting, believing, looking to Christ to save us and not ourselves. Third, Paul describes us and them as brothers. He says to the saints and faithful brothers. That's interesting there. Paul 
Again, Paul describes a church, Christians, whom he has never met as brothers. He is not opposed, I think, to adding sisters or including sisters, but his point is not to highlight that we are two groups of people, but his point is to highlight that we are one group of people in Christ. Paul described Timothy as our brother in verse 1. He uses the same term to describe Christians he had never met. Jesus Christ calling uh, was calling out and saving a people into a new family in which uh, Colossians 3 verse 11, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but rather Christ is all and in all. You could say something like, we are all siblings through faith in Jesus Christ, part of the family of God. Fourth, he describes them and us as being in Christ. That little phrase, in Christ, is so rich, there could be an entire series of messages and study given over to the implication of that phrase. Here's what Kent Hughes writes about it. He says, in barest terms, it means that the Colossians, and indeed all authentic believers, partook of all that Christ had done, all that he was and is, and all that he ever would be. In chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul will make clear that Jesus' death becomes our death. We died with Christ. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His victory becomes our victory. We are so close. He will say in chapter 3, verse 3, that our lives are literally hidden with Christ in God. To be in Christ means that we are inseparably joined to Him. It is, in fact, that we are in Christ, that we are saints, that we are believing, that we are brothers. All of these things that we're talking about are true and real because of Christ, you see. Our relationship with Him, He determines everything in our lives. And then fifth, we're not just in Christ, but notice fifth, we are at Colossae. Colossae. Now that's interesting. Think about those two things together. We are in Christ and at Colossae. Simultaneously, citizens of two kingdoms. We, we live at one and the same time in Christ and in Mount Washington. One commentator explained it like this. In Paul's mind, just as these Christians live literally in Colossae, they also live in Christ. The terrain, the climate, values, and history in which people grow up and live helps to define who they are as really as this region of Colossae defines who they are, Christ defines who believers really are. His spirit, values, character, history, and purposes shape their lives. We are in Mount Washington. That's where we are. But that's not the sum of who we are, is it? We're in Christ if we are Christians. Sam Storm's cleverly explains it like this. No matter where you are geographically, what you are spiritually will never change if you're a believer. You may be, he writes, at work, at play, overseas, 
under the weather, out of money, but you are always and unchangeably in Christ. You may be down in the dumps. You may be over the hill. You may be beside yourself, but you are always and unchangeably in Christ, he says. And it is precisely because we are in Christ that wherever you live and you work and you play, you carry his influence with you, church. You are his. We don't live in Christ only while we're here at the church. No, we're in Christ, holy, believing brothers, sisters, wherever we are. Is that how you think of yourself, Christian? Is that your primary identity? It should be, shouldn't it? Is that how you think when you walk out of this place? Is this reality shaping how you live? Anything about how you live your life? And there's a lot of people that will say, oh yeah, I'm in, in Christ. But then you look at them and there's, there's very little, if anything, in their lives to identify them as such. One of Paul's emphasis and perhaps the theme of his letter in the Colossians, chapter 2, verse 6, says this, therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Live according to your identity. Think of yourself this way and live as though you are in Christ. Brings us to the third thing Paul wants us to think about. That is how to think of life. That's found in Paul's simple greeting there at the end of verse 2 where he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now Paul often begins his letters with that kind of encouragement. You'll see that in several places. In fact, when he gets to the end of his letter in Colossians, he's going to say uh, something, part of that again. Chapter 4, verse 18, he says, grace be with you. Grace to you and grace be with you. It's as if to say that all of the forces that are influencing you and surrounding you, your life right now, everything that's pressing in on you, is it not the grace of God that is the most powerful? When you think about it, when Paul says grace to you, he's not just speaking of the amazing grace that saves, certainly including that, but I think he's talking about God's continued grace that sustains your life. Just remarkably keeps you. Grace with you as you close your Bible in just a moment and prepare to leave. Grace with you as you're dealing with that sick child or taking care of a sick parent. Grace with you as you go to work, as you wake up tomorrow and begin to face some of the temptations to the weak, uh, anger or lust or greed or whatever it is. Grace with you. As you think about the lost co-worker that you hope to have a word with this week of, of the gospel. John Piper writes this, we learn that grace is ready to flow to us every time we take up the inspired scriptures to read them. And we learn that grace will abide with us when we lay the Bible down 
and go about our daily living. Oh, church, we're saved by grace. Amen? But it's only by grace that we're sustained every day. Not just grace, he says, finally, but peace from God our Father. That's not just peace of mind. That's a peace that has been made between us and God. He's talking about the peace that comes, as verse 20 says, through the cross, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that you can live here and go on about your week if you are trusting in Christ, knowing that if anything were to happen to you, even in these coming days, that you know you have peace with God because of what Christ has done for you. Later in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul will exhort us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Oh, that's so challenging, isn't it? Let it rule. Let it reign. Rest in that peace. Live in that peace of Christ. Here's the thing. Peace comes when grace comes into your life. And grace comes when we are in Christ and He is in us. Wow, it's easy to, um, for us as 21st century readers of the Bible to kind of miss all of these rich nuances in, in Paul's choice of words here, isn't it? We might think there's a lot of insignificant things there. We should move on to, uh, uh, to, to, to verse 3. But you know, these little words, I believe, were treasured by that little church in Colossae. I think they were on the edge of their seat. Here's a letter from the apostle sent by Jesus Christ, by the will of God, a spokesman for Jesus himself. Do you think of Paul's words in that way? Do you treat them that way? Is there habits in your life that you treat the Bible as though it is the fountain that leads you to God, that leads you to Christ? Is it not our desire to know Christ and love Christ that causes us to treasure his word like this church? To hang ourselves on every word, to adjust all of our thinking to this word, to adjust all of our living to this word. Well, since Paul has begun by, I think, making every word count, we can be sure that he's going to go on to make every word count even more. And this is why we read the Scriptures. It's why we study the Scriptures. It's why we memorize the Scriptures, because every word matters. It's why we, we read the Bible what, assiduously. Who uses that word anymore, as Edward says? Because it is the fountain by which we drink from to know God and to see Christ. Do you know him? Is Christ in you? Are you in Christ? Have you experienced his grace and his peace? Why not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today? You have opportunity right now if the Lord is leading you to respond. We're going to sing a closing song. I'll be here in the front. Um, and if you feel the Lord is leading you to make a public commitment of your faith to Christ, 
uh, to follow him in baptism, uh, I want to invite you to come forward today as we stand and sing. Clay, come and lead us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we spent together this morning, great time of fellowship and worship, of being all together, seeing one of yours, Mark, be ordained into the deacon ministry. Lord, in hearing your word, which is reminding us of who we are in Christ. Lord, drive these truths home in our hearts now as we prepare to go. May we live in this grace and peace that Paul talks about. Be with those who need to respond publicly. Help them today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.